We finally did it. After a year of begging, pleading, bargaining, we finally got John B to sit down in the studio with us and give us a review of the hot commodity markets for 2023 and a view of what he hopes will come in 2024. We started with cobalt, now we're doing lithium, we're doing options, and we're seeing a growth market there, particularly when you look at the price of a battery. So make sure to stick around. All this and more on Freight Up. Freight Up! Welcome to Freight Up. My name is Fernanda and have we got an episode for you. It is our last one before we go off on Christmas break and we won't see you until the new year. Now, I know you're upset because this is our last episode before the new year. And before you start wiping your tears, I'm going to tell you we've got a great one for you. Not only have we got Johnny B himself, he's going to be giving us a review of some of our major commodities here at FIS and also muse a bit about what the year of the dragon may hold next year. Joshua Stern from our steel desk and George Houston from Burt's will be offering us a year in review for their respective desks. Not only that, but A. Smith 7, your favorite broker, will be here to give you his oil update. So let's dive on in with Archie Smith. All right, we are in the studio with the one, the only, A. Smith 7, the people's broker, breaker of chains. Archie, how are you doing? I'm great, thank you. How are you? Fantastic. I'm very sad that this is our last episode before Christmas break. Is it? Yes. There you go. Now we found out. (laughs) Yeah, I wasn't aware. You're going to show up next week and then do your I missed the last week, didn't I? I was in Copenhagen. Yes, we, we all cried. We were all very sad. Actually, this is your opportunity to apologize to the fan base. Sorry to everyone. Really, I truly (laughs) am. I was representing FIS at uh, at our drinks event there, which was really good. Really, really good event, yeah. You know, taking one for the team, Archie. Someone's got to do it. Someone's, yeah, literally anyone. (laughs) Okay, fantastic. Archie, what is going on in the world of oil? Yes, it's uh, crude markets down quite significantly. I mean, we were touching lows today of well, just above $72 per barrel. What I mean, happened? It's like 72.20 around there we were touching. OPEC a few weeks ago decided uh, they were going to extend the production cuts, uh, the existing ones, uh, and also add to those as well with uh, some of the other uh, producing countries. But it's all kind of backfired at them. I think that there was definitely a lack of kind of union uh, that has been felt in previous decisions, you know, uh, OPEC have seemed very unified, uh, very unanimous when coming to these decisions. I think with the most recent meeting, it seemed very scattered and that's kind of planted a lot of doubt into the market. So they feel like they've got some wiggle room, huh? Yeah, w- wiggle room. And also I think people are, are genuinely just thinking that certain countries aren't are just not going to okay. stick to the, uh, abide by the, uh, by the cuts. So that kind of injection of doubt has, has seen crude prices really come off, even though the official announcement is, okay, yeah, we're cutting production, you know, which you would imagine. In but a the normal world, supports the prices. Up. Yeah, exactly. I just think that there's a lot of doubt around these decisions. And that's why we're seeing crude come off quite substantially. You know, we're also getting downward pressures from non-OPEC nations who have really kind of ramped up production, US being one. So, you know, kind of supply surplus almost being floated out there for, for some periods of 2024. Nice to know that my gas, um, uh, my gas prices won't be too high when I get there. Well, yeah, you say that, but I think it, it's the pump that always, <laughs> it's, it's the gas pump that always kind it's, of changes last, isn't it? Us, yeah, you yeah. know, 
when the crude comes up, I think for the consumer, the gasoline prices are quick to to shoot up. But when crude comes off, they're quite slow to come back down. I'll, I'll uh, let you know. I'll let you know how it is next yeah, week. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's obviously, it's much cheaper in the US than it is over here anyway. It's, it's you, I mean, very you guys true. are a massive producer, I, yeah. I thought the price here was per gallon. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, super, it's insane here. Yeah. Now, another kind of major factor that's always been lurking in the background is just kind of general economic outlook uh, still remains pretty woeful. Uh, which again is just adding more downward pressure to prices. I mean, the EIA actually came out today and lowered their their figure uh, for 2024 oil demand outlook. So yeah, again, that kind of saw us come off price-wise. I've got the figures here. They actually lowered it to 102.34 million barrels per day from 102.44 million barrels per day. A small decrease, but a decrease nonetheless, which kind of you know stokes those fires of, is the demand going to be there? And what, what's your take on it? What's the word on the street? I think word on the street for the whole kind of year has been poor demand outlook. Kind of coming from the other side of it, uh, something that may be offering some of a flaw to prices is uh, a little bit of worry with the sh- uh, in terms of shipping routes involving Israel. There was an attack on an oil tanker this week, which kind of supported prices. I think the, the name of the group is, uh, is Houthi. I think they they did claim that attack. That being said, a I know that a Yemen uh, militant official did come out and say all non-Israeli bound ships are safe, but any Israeli bound oil tankers are a target. I think is is kind of pretty much what he said. So yeah, the war tensions kind of coming back into it again. It's it's not significant enough to to really kind of boost prices, but I, I was I think there is an argument for it offering some flaw at the minute. Obviously, you know we are still coming off, but. There's definitely enough worry of physical oil tankers being attacked in that region. In terms of support side, I'd say that's one of the only points at the minute. Everything else is kind of going the other direction. And I think that pretty much rounds me up on the crude. Overall, fuel market is uh, it's, it's definitely settling. Looking kind of specifically at the Sing.5 marine fuel, obviously we saw ridiculous strength in that a few weeks ago. And that was in light of uh, the Alzor refinery being offline in Q8, uh, which is a massive, massive uh, producer of, of the very low sulfur marine fuel oil. Uh, we saw cracks, you know, getting to record high levels, front spreads getting to record high levels. Uh, that was last month. Uh, and it, kind of since then, it has just been gradually settling and, and softening. I mean, the cracks off about a dollar on the week, uh, 0.5 front cracks, trading around $10 per barrel. That was about 11 uh, there thereabouts last week. Uh, and same with the fr- that front uh, Jan Feb spread is off about two bucks on the week. Uh, just just trading uh, sub five levels as I left my desk. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, really kind of see softening in that softening in that market, and that's just uh, off the back of uh, higher supplier expected in Asia arbitrage, and also Alzor refinery coming back online. I think it's set to be fully operational uh, at the turn of the new year. I think it's the, the third and final sector that they're getting back online. Uh, the other two uh, are operating. So, and obviously that's just injecting a lot of m- lot more supply uh, in, into the Asian market. And hence why we've seen uh, softening in the front there. It's the most important question is, Archie, what are you doing for the holidays? Uh, I'm just at home. Me, mum, dad, the dogs, and potentially nan and granddad. Biggest fans afraid up all under one roof. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> 
So, Are you a household that gets your dogs presents? Hundred or... percent. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god, that's so cute. Okay, what did you get them this year? They're not listening. Well, I've not. Yeah, I've not bought for my dogs this year. But last year, I got them uh, a barber coat. Each. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, some like barber dog shampoo and dog conditioner. Oh my god, that's well. Now you know, folks. Archie's dogs are living better than you. Yeah, I do spoil them. Yeah, it was an absolute pleasure to have you here today, and we'll see you in 2024. Yes, happy new year to everyone. Merry Christmas, and see you 2024. Now we couldn't say goodbye to 2023 without giving you a very special present, and that present is the musings of FIS CEO John B. All right, we are in the studio in London and there was just thunder and lightning outside, which can only mean one thing. John B is here. How are you, John? Very well, thank you. <laughs> it's great to have you. Good to be back. Took a year, but we got you in here. <laughs> so it's been a bit of a volatile year. And for you, it seems to be that either Burnley is going to have a stable year or the markets are going to have a stable year. Which one happened this year for you? Well, unfortunately, Burnley, if you look at the league table, we were pretty much at the bottom. Oh, no. But it's the season's not over. Okay. And, um, I think we play Everton on Saturday, so we've got to get a win. The business is what we do, the commodity business. Yes, it's been a very volatile year. We have lots of markets, and you're going to give us yeah. a breakdown of each one. Well, the first thing is we probably haven't seen this volatility since probably uh, the spring of 2020, you know, when we were starting around uh, sort of COVID time. And, uh, and prior to that, we had this massive move in the markets in 2008 with a financial crash and also the shipping crash and the iron ore crash. Been a difficult year, to be honest, for everyone, particularly the traders, because it's been all over the place. So I just wanted to just highlight some of the key markets, which FIS do. So obviously on the freight, the dry freight, I came up with something the other week called Capemus <laughs> <laughs> because it was an early Christmas present for the Cape owners when the market rallied from sort of 20,000 to sort of over 50,000. You can never predict anything in freight because there's always something which people haven't predicted. So there was a big shortage of of ships in the Atlantic. There was a lot of de-stocking uh, and uh, yeah, it went up. And then the December contract in Capes were 41,000 and dropped to 29,000 and it's now at 35. So it's not quite Cape crash, but obviously it's been uh, an interesting and caught market by surprise. So just when we're talking about freight, you know, we've had increasing volumes this year on the dry FFA and uh, I think we're up 38%. So well done, increasingly important part of the industry for shipping. And uh, we've seen more financial players coming in with a different view. Some people think, is that good for liquidity or bad for liquidity? And overall, most people have been streaming for liquidity and it's good for liquidity, I think. And it's moving, you know, moving the markets, you know, particularly if a ship owner's got a view, maybe a fund has a different view. So it's good to have a two-way market. Then moving on from freight, iron ore, obviously iron ore has also been really volatile. So we've seen iron ore CNF China, the imported price in China go from $97 to $137. So that definitely booked the trend because uh, no one expected the iron ore to go to $137 because there was lots of production. There was really negative news coming out of China. We had the 
the property market, you know, which is about 30% of the GDP, you know, on its back. You know, we've seen this stimulus come in. We've seen a, a ramp up in the numbers. And, you know, once again, the iron ore has rallied uh, and caught the market, you know, by a surprise. And then the other sort of products we do, you know, steel and scrap, you know, we've seen healthy volume growth in the steel and scrap market, particularly in the US and also in the European market. We've seen, you know, the prices moving around, you know, some days, $50, $100 a day. And slowly, slowly, the industry in steel, which has been the second biggest commodity after oil, is waking up to the fact we want to hedge, we want to trade risk management products. So uh, we've seen lots of consolidation in the US with uh, some three big steel companies who don't trade derivatives, but we hope that they might do in the future when they see these kind of price rings and more of these young people going into these industries and saying, you know, coking coal, iron ore, steel, you know, you've got to manage risk. So hopefully that conservative industry is going to move more into these markets like the power and the energy markets we've seen over the last sort of 10, 20 years. Then we move on to oil. Oil, wow, uh, oil. So it's <laughs> been very political uh, this year, particularly, you know, who's bigger, US or China? You know, do we price global trade in dollars or in RMB. So there's been that sort of uh, struggle. We've had a lot of politics. Obviously, there's still the Ukraine war, which is very sad, which I'll talk about shortly. We've had, obviously, the Middle East crisis, and we've got the big powers there. And it's all adding to that volatility. And then, obviously, the US has ramped up its production to try and starve all that volatility off. And it's also been really difficult to trade. And we certainly at FIS, we're seeing a lot more ship owners uh, look, coming to us asking how we can hedge, you know, those volatile prices. Because in some cases, it's 30 to 40% of the delivered cost of freight. That's kind of working. Some of the interesting markets which we have pioneered and innovated, you know, obviously people think, well, we just sit there. But we do a lot of good work in the market by looking what does the industry want, what type of products need to be developed. and we were the first company to start on battery metals. So interestingly, uh, battery metals is a growing market. So if you look at the new car production this year, 30% of new cars in China are electric, 23% are in Europe, uh, electric cars. And you know where you're from, the gas guzzlers of the US <laughs> who are kind of anti-green, you know, we've got 7%. So slowly, slowly, the we're U.S. Creeping. is we're getting, there. We're getting there. But then, yeah, so, you know, we started with cobalt. Now we're doing lithium. We're doing options. And we're seeing a growth market there, particularly when you look at the price of a battery. You know, if you take cobalt, lithium, and nickel, we came up with this idea called the virtual battery. So you can buy the actual ingredients of the battery because in some cases, it's 30 to 40% of the cost of a battery is the actual raw materials, and it's about 20, 30% of the cost of a car. So it's a very important part of a car, and particularly when nickel prices went through the roof, the battery prices all went up. So it's a good time to be friends with Anna Chadwick, huh? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, we're seeing companies coming into this space, particularly some of the financial players and the funds who actually don't produce cars. Uh, but they think it's a good story for their investors, you know, because it's EVs, you know, it's green, you know, it's a green story. So we're getting more non, you know, car production companies involved in that because it's a, it's a good story for it's investors. It's a good ESG move. Yeah. The nice thing is because cobalt, most of it's producing the DCR, 
you can't really trade the physical cobalt because you've got two big traders who own most of the production. So having a paper instrument, there's no risk of defaults or companies not supplying the stuff when you can trade the index. Yeah. And then going through the other stuff, what we do, the fertilizers has not been as volatile this year. We've seen China one month say we're not going to export fertilizers and then all of a sudden it goes up and then for the Indian tender the other month, they provided 30% of the import. So that's been volatile. It's a lower prices today, around $300. Uh, but it's a very important part of the cost of grain, which is around 20, 20%. And then emissions, obviously my favorite, because <laughs> it took me a year to understand what it was. <laughs> it did. And a lot of drawings. Yeah, a lot of groans and grinds. So, you know, it is a complicated market because you've got, well, we've got the compliance market, which is the EUAs in Europe. And then we've got the voluntary market, which is kind of global. And you've got lots of different products out there, which sort of have all different points. But the fact is there has been a little bit of reduction in Europe in terms of global emissions and there's been more of a switch into renewables. But you've seen people who are long, you know, the EUAs at to go short. So we've had volatility there from sixty seven dollars to a hundred and two dollars. And the shipping company has to wake up to this kind of price swing because they're gonna to have to get involved in it. And we've been pushing the consultancy side and trying to help people understand how to trade it and be green and make money. And, you know, we're there to help you, you know, for next year when it actually starts and you have to register what you have to do. You know, in closing, you know, it's been a, a very interesting year. Next year is year of the dragon. So it's the wood dragon. <laughs> so uh, apparently you've got, it's uh, a dragon's very intellectual, uh, takes advantage of things at any chance and it's good fortune. The tiger, which I was born, is the risk taker. So I get gobbled up by the <laughs> dragon. We had a very e good event the other week in Shanghai. Uh, I haven't been there for a number of years. It was great to see everybody. You cannot ignore China. China is still 40, 45% of the world's commodities. And we want to keep investing in China. We've been there for 15 years and we appreciate their support from the Chinese uh, companies we deal with. And then very sad situation in the world's politics today, you know, with Israel and Palestine, but obviously something close to our heart has been Ukraine. And, uh, you know, having been on the front line and seen face to face, I speak pretty much every day to people in Ukraine and it's really a bad situation. We've delivered the armored ambulances. We've delivered humanitarian aid. We're also providing flour and bread to build a small bakery down in uh, Hassan. The victory so, bakery. The victory bakery. Yeah. So I would stress you know, and the fact is it's our, our charity, which is direct. You know, we're not going through other big charities, which take 20, 30%. We can show you what we do. So anybody on listening to this, if you can help us, it's www.ukrainecares.com. And I can assure you, you'll make somebody a happy Christmas. It's not a happy Christmas down there right now. And we're all sitting having our mince pies and having a beer. But think of other people, you know, who are having a really hard time. We also helped up in Burnley, you know, the cancer. You so, donated quite an innovative yeah, we, machine. We, it's a game changer. We donated uh, probably the second biggest donation uh, in East Lancashire. And the idea was just try and catch cancer early. So we're able to buy a machine which can actually spot the cancer and actually can do the operation. So it's really frightening to go to these things anyway. And then finally you've got a cancer or a lump and then you can get it operated on there and then. So it's absolutely amazing. So I just wanted to thank the customers of FIS and all the people we know 
for your support this year and hopefully we'll continue this good fortune as the year of the dragon says and i hope 24 will be good have a great christmas you know keep safe and well and uh, thank you again now it's been a minute i know you've missed him so here's joshua stern with a steel update yeah thanks for the introduction fernanda it has been uh, it has been some pretty crazy times in the uh, in the steel markets over the past couple of weeks in particular on both the scrap and the USHRC side. On the USHRC side, we've seen the mills really come in and raise offers, you know, pretty much up to about 1100 area right now. That's kind of where we're trading. You know, CRU came out at about 1044 this week. Platts is actually putting US Midwest HRC physical trades, obviously, out there already at 1100. So yeah, it's it seems like there's a little bit more move to the upside still, but momentum has definitely kind of fallen off over the last couple of days. We had a huge rally essentially from about 800, you know, all the way up to about 1100. You know, if you're looking at like the Jan futures right now, they're just trading a tad above 1100. So the curve has gotten pretty out of whack and yeah, very, very high prices right now heading into the new year. I do suspect that we kind of start to see some of these prices come off in a little bit of a fashion. You know, momentum has really slowed down, although we have kind of seen like for the Jan contract in USHRC, this 1100 point has very much been a kind of a support level. We have had a couple trades go just a tad under, but it pretty much catches support again, just around there at 1100. So, you know, going forward, I think for the USHRC curve, it's really, really important to go ahead and kind of monitor, you know, prices. How much longer can we actually stay above, you know, basically four handles? We're already starting to see things like Q224 already down there at about 920, 925. Things are coming off, uh, on kind of the back end of the curve, whereas, you know, in the front three months of, I would say, 2024, you're still seeing quite a bit of strength. So Q1 is where most strength is. I am a bit wary again, basis the momentum of the of the rally has really fallen off and, you know, just high price levels, especially as you're going into the kind of Christmas period or holiday period. You're going to see a lot of people, especially kind of out in the USHRC markets where people have to get rid of quotas, right? Just like you and me, everybody wants a happy Christmas. Everyone wants to hit their quota, right? So steel sales guys, you know, these sales guys still have steel that they need to get off before the end of the year. Hence, I do think that there could be a bit of pressure over the next few weeks, you know, kind of as liquidity also dies out going into the holiday period. So that's where we are on the USHRC side of things. You know, moving over to uh, scrap, scrap and rebar, Uh, you know, rebar. Let me start with that one because it's just not really... I feel like it never gets talked about enough. And what you're kind of starting to see right now is the spread between rebar and scrap. Obviously, this is what we call the arc spread here. You know, this is essentially kind of telling you, you know, how profitable are those Turkish mills? And what we're seeing is that these spreads are basically at super low. I mean, it it, it almost never goes sub 200. And we're looking at about 180 right now on that spread um, on a spot basis. So what you're kind of also seeing here is that rebar and scrap prices very much moving in tandem, both absolutely skyrocketing. I think we've gained probably 30 bucks, maybe even 35 bucks over the last two weeks on the scrap side of things. And rebar was trading just at about 600. We're now about 620, 625 as well there. So things are really kind of getting tight there. As I say there, we're getting kind of tight. I think this is also very much a function of what's actually going on. First off right now, I mean, there's extreme shortages of vessels available. You know, freight rates have have shot up out the roof. So in turn, you're starting to see that actually take place in the curves as well, especially in scrap and rebar. So like scrap, for instance, you've really started to see the basically the entire curve come up. 
And something that we've kind of found interesting over the last few weeks is, you know, the curve has essentially flattened out in the front months and you're almost kind of back into a backwardation. Although this backwardation might be available on screen, there are kind of some interesting nuances that we've experienced over the last few weeks. And, you know, we had some interest essentially in kind of further down 2024. So about Q3, Q4, 24. And in the scrap market, what, what people were, you know, physical guys were coming in and they were offering this significantly higher than it was on screen. And, you know, you'd kind of have some of the financial players come in and offer a bit lower, but it really surprised me actually that, yeah, offers were coming in so high from the fizz side. And the reason for that is, well, A, they have a cost of carry, right? So that cost of carry essentially in the far, in the back end of that scrap curve, especially with interest rates so high, was going to be, you know, was quite a cost for these guys to actually go ahead and, you know, have on their books going forward. So wasn't really, didn't really see a lot of physical interest there, a lot of financial interest that was kind of looking at that part of the curve. And, you know, front end of the curve is pretty much flat. Back end of the curve, although prices might be a little bit depressed there, I do think, you know, if you were in the derivative market, it might actually be a bit tougher to get those prices and offers might come in a bit higher. So if you're a bidder, you're very likely to have to almost kind of, quote unquote, overpay, in my opinion. So that's just kind of what I'm seeing there. You know, it very much feels like a little bit of a squeeze as well going on out there in uh, Turkey on the ground, right? I mean, you've got these rebar mills and they need scrap. There's not a ton of scrap out in the market at the moment, so they're having to pay up. And, you know, scrap guys are, you know, everyone's of the same opinion, you know, with freight rates going higher, with interest rates so high, et cetera, you know, it costs so much more going to head and actually trading the physical. So in turn, yeah, you know, scrap, I would say, you know, very, very, very strong right now in general, the whole kind of Turkish sector seems pretty strong. Everything is rising there. You know, going forward into 2024, I've heard quite a few positive things about the rebar market as well. You know, lots of people are expecting that there's going to be quite a bit of demand and quite a bit of a price hike going into 2024. So some things to look out for and uh, yeah, to keep your eye on. I did just want to take a moment as well and kind of talk about some of the physical stuff that we've seen on scrap as well. I mean, over the past couple of weeks, there have been I mean, there has been a flurry of activity, right? Uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we were seeing deals down in the low 400s, possibly even in the high 300s. But like, for instance, you know, just yesterday, you know, we saw a deal go through for 8020 HMS at 428. So, I mean, again, prices are really, really, really getting elevated here. Again, very, very, very strongly correlated to the heightened prices in, uh, yeah, in shipping and the just the, the general availability of vessels. So, you know, I think that that's actually, that leads us very well into kind of our FFA's desk and the freight desk here, who can then actually provide a little bit more insight into what's actually causing these disruptions in the supply chain. Let's talk freight. As pessimism set in in the beginning of the week last week, we saw aggressive sell-offs in the Cape market throughout the week, coupled with less support from slower fixing activity in both basins. Panamax soon followed suit, marking a 17% decrease in a week, despite the fundamental market remaining largely stable. The main supporting factors to watch out for were congestion in mainland China and further potential stimulus from Beijing boosting the iron ore market. Drilling into the capes, we witness a more than 30% drop in time charter rates. This decline was attributed to reduced activity in both basins, coupled with aggressive sell-offs in FFAs. In the Pacific, only one iron ore major was seeking cargo for most of the week, leading to an increased tonnage list. 
Conversely, cargo volumes from Brazil and South Africa declined, widening the gap between bid and offer and further pressuring Atlantic rates. However, adverse weather conditions in North China resulted in more port closures, slightly boosting Pacific rates from the end of last week. On a weekly basis, Cape Iron ore shipments fell by 10% to 29 million tons due to a sharp volume decline from Brazil. Coal volumes remain steady at a high level of 7.4 million tons, supported by consistent robust demand. However, minor bulk volumes experienced a significant weekly drop of 17%, reaching 2.8 million tons. The Cape rate started to rally at the beginning of the new week, driven by potential increases in iron ore demand from China. Anticipated government stimulus and ongoing weather disruptions, it's likely that rates will firm up to some extent this week. In terms of fixtures, the key C5 iron ore route West Australia to China was initially fixed at $13.90 for 16 December onward, but fell to $10.40 for 23 to 25 December by the end of the week. Last Tuesday was a day for the bears as December sold down to a low of 31,500, minus 5,500 from closing levels and minus 9,000 from yesterday's highs. And January sold down to 14,000, which is minus 3,000. There was some respite in the evening session with December retracing to 32,750 and Jan to 15,750. Conversely, this week started off a bit hot with December getting paid in quick succession 33,000, 33,500 and 34,000. January traded up to 17,250 and Q1 to 13,500. Sellers took over in the afternoon with January pushed down to 16,000 minus 1,250 from the highs. Moving on to Panamax, as we alluded to in the beginning, despite the fundamentals remaining consistently stable, Panamax had a highly volatile week and came under pressure from a bearish Cape market. In the Asian market, strong coal demand persisted from China, Japan and India, resulting in high shipments reported from Indonesia and Australia. Additionally, market sources reported an increasing number of vessels waiting around North China due to weather disruptions. Nevertheless, the negative tone in FFAs took charge, leading to slower fixing activity and a standoff between owners and charters. Initial buying last Monday saw December print up to 21,500 and Q1 up to 15,250 before stalling and running into resistance. This resistance turned into pressure as the day progressed and December traded down to 19,250, Jan to 14,600, and Q1 to 13,250. A gloomy day on Tuesday followed for Panamax papers. December and January traded down to 17,500 and 12,500 respectively, while Q slipped down to 11,750. Post-index saw the curve correct itself, with December pushing north of 18,000, January to 13,250, and Q1 up to 12,650. Fast forward to this week, and the market is starting to slow down with Christmas just around the corner. Q1 was hovering up about 12,400 to 12,500, and January was being paid at 13,250. More interest was seen further out, with Cal24 reaching 12,900, and Cal 25 paid at 11,900. The afternoon saw sellers return with the market dipping $300 from the day's highs before stalling at a close. Finally, for all you Supermax fans, we've been waiting for this moment. Last week, we saw some early rallying on Monday, which was quickly overturned in the afternoon as December and January traded up to 19,500 and 17,500 respectively before trading down over $2,000. 
Tuesday opened on a softer note with the entire curve mostly offered. Gen and Q1 traded down to 12,750 and 11,650 respectively. Further out, Cal24 and Cal25 traded down to 11,850 and 11,100 respectively. This week, we started off with January trading up to 13,700 on the prompt. A lack of liquidity saw sellers offering into a void, leading to the entire curve coming off throughout the day. Finally, the FFA market. This week saw another week of heavy volume in the FFA's market preceding the holiday season, with the total trading volume reaching nearly 108,000 lots last week. Among vessel sizes, Panamax futures saw the largest volume traded, averaging 6,725 lots changing hands per day. Cape followed closely with about 5,230 lots traded daily, and Supermax also experienced higher volumes, averaging 3,070 lots traded daily. Options trading remained active with 2,580 lots cleared in Cape and 13,850 lots in Panamax. In terms of contract periods, the primary focus of the interest was on December, January, Q1, Q2, and Cal24 to 25 contracts. So pretty much all of them. Open interest increased slightly as positions extended to further dated contracts. As of 11th December, Cape 5TC open interest reached 170,520 lots. Panamax 4TC, 180,466 lots. And Supermax 10TC, 88,176 lots. Finally, in regards to voyage routes last week, we saw 2.225 million tons of C5 and 39.5 kilotons of C3 were cleared with the main interest focusing on December on deck and Q1 contracts, along with smaller sizes on Jan 24. That is your freight update. We will see you in the new year. And now for a voice that you've never heard before, George Fertilizer Houston is here to give you his update. All right, George. So it has been one heck of a year for the fertilizer desk, which is why I'm assuming you're making your Braid Up debut podcast. Welcome to the show. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. Tell us a bit about some of the big news you have to share with us. So the big news is me and the fertilizer team brokered the first NOLA DAP option last week, which would be the first phosphate options traded in the fertilizer market. And it was a 550 March NOLA DAP put option at $11. Amazing. And what does this really say about the market right now? I think it shows that the options market is continuing to develop and mature and grow. And we're hoping that this DAP option is the first of many of DAP options to come. And we'll continue to kind of push the momentum that we already have in the options market and fertilizer. That makes sense because this isn't the first big milestone we've had this year. Can you tell us a bit more about some of the other achievements that FIS has had over the year? To kind of go over our recent achievements in the options markets, going back to October 2022, we brokered the first fertilizer option, um, which was a NOLA urea option. And then in July of 2023, we brokered the first option in the international market, which was a Brazilian urea option. And in a grand total, we brokered over 100,000 tons worth of options so far. That's amazing. So how does liquidity look at the market for this year? 
It seems to be growing steadily. We've seen more and more options getting traded and new players keep coming into the market. And we are hoping another wave of liquidity will be coming after hearing that CME is planning on listing NOLA urea options in quarter two of next year. Yeah, a milestone that I'm sure is at least partially due to the hard work that the FERC's team at FIS has done over the year. I would say so. I mean, we've worked really hard the desk as a whole to develop the options market and fertilizer. We keep pushing and trying to share how, you know, these options and how to use them to manage people. People can use them to manage their risk. And we just keep, you know, chugging along on it. So. All right. So you've given us a phenomenal overview of the work that you and the FIS Birds team have done this year. To end, I want to ask you a bit of a personal question. And that is, George, how did you end up in first options of all things? What interested you in this field? So in my previous role, I was working with grain risk management, uh, working alongside farmers and ranchers, kind of managing the risk both in the grain and the livestock market. And I recall a conversation I had in 2022, and I had a farmer I, I was talking to said that, you know, I love to lock in my December 23 corn because it was over $6, but... I don't know what my input costs are going to be, and I don't know what the cost of my fertilizer is going to be. And I asked him, you know, well, why don't you call up your local grain elevator or local co-op and, you know, get a quote? And he says, they they can't give me a quote because they don't know what the price of their fertilizer is going to be. So I realized that, you know, them not having those tools, whether it's both, you know, or the general market not having access to futures and options seemed to me like a real problem. And if I could help in any way, kind of provide ways for these tools to become more openly available and more open to the general public, I see myself as helping kind of solve solve that initial problem. So that the former, next time he calls up to the elevator, the co-op, he can get a quote on his fertilizer and then he can go go forward with locking in new crop corn sales. That was beautiful, George. Thank you so much for joining us. And we can't wait to hear about all the milestones that you and the Fertz Desk hit next year. We'll be looking forward to sharing it with you guys and continue to push forward. You know, hopefully next time we're going to have a, another option you retreated or maybe even have them list the next time we're on Freight Up. So I'm major ups to George Houston. Thank you so much for joining us. Okay. Well, I appreciate your time and uh, I'll talk to you later. Now let's catch up on the Ferris Complex with How Pay. We still have some information to get out of you for the remainder of 2023. The first thing that we need to talk about is that $3 correction two weeks ago being recovered by $4 in this last report week. So the big question is, do you think that iron ore is going to stay above 135 for the rest of the year? Compared with October or early November, when iron ore moved to uh, moved nine dollars or even about ten dollars per week, which is a small change, and we can see clearly <laughs> iron ore volatility now is decreasing. That's what we expecting, like during the past two weeks. So does the open interest in the volume. This is a typical year-end scenarios because of less traders want to bet on the direction of market. And as well, less physical traders on the market. And although the market has yet any big correction, we insist on the valuation above 135 is too high. 
the year high normally don't show up in December without any big fundamental change. If we look back for the last 10 years, but the macro support and stimulus on the other side hasn't stopped in China. There'll be more housing as well as the potential interest cuts uh, before and after New Year and expected by Bloomberg analysis. So in general, we don't believe iron ore is at huge risk from a big correction. Like for example, 20% or even 10%. But we think the high valuation at current level is not sustainable. And a small correction at some point would help the market to turn to a healthy side, thinking about the whole industry chain because steel mills is suffering from a loss for three months. So that my uh, conclusion is the high level is not going to last through the rest of the year. Oh, hot off the press. These are how pays predictions. And is that view supported at all by the fundamentals? Yes, I think the view that the high level is not going to last through the rest of the year is fully supported by the fundamentals. Because, for example, we're seeing pig iron consumption uh, representing the demand side of iron ore directly on a daily basis is decreasing from 2.48 million tons to 2.29 million tons and is going to 2.1 million tons by the end of the year or early next year. So marginally decreasing, but at slower pace than previous years. However, the shipment from the other side is increasing as to represent the supply. So higher supply and slower demand is definitely equal to a slight bearish outlook from the current level. But the only true demand from my side is cargoes from Brazil. That demand is increasing because concerning on the rainy weathers, but the overall is decreasing. The actual trade was more volatile below $125 rather than any trade above this level because below 125 levels, we see a lot of massive trading like three to four lakens per day on the seaborne side and a lot of uh, uh, Chinese run settled on the port side as well. But now we are seeing like probably one lakens per day and two, like maybe three or four lakens per week. And it's all flat price. They're using the same premium a little bit higher on the fixed price. So I think any level above 125 is not sustainable. So I think the fundamental outlook is totally telling that uh, the current valuation is at, uh, at high risk and it's too high. And any notes about 2024 that you want to share with our listeners? Uh, we mentioned, I remember that from the last, uh, maybe two podcasts uh, before we had our, uh, we had our look about, uh, the prediction range for the iron ore in 2024. We're going to mention that range level. I believe the high is 140 and the low will be $95. And I think it's a higher average, uh, than 2023. And it's have a higher, slight higher highs and slight higher lows than 2023. And I think the high is potentially appear in the first half of 2024 as more of the stimulus come out before and after March when it's trying a political 
uh, conference of the year and uh, the expectations of U.S. interest cut is more likely to happen by mid-year. If that's going to be the timestamp, there will be a lot of stars telling. So that's going to support the volatility of our iron ore. That's why we're potentially seeing a high in the first half of 2024. And the low appear in the rest half of the year is because of supply from non-major miners is going is growing in the next half. And China domestic miners is expected to increase some of the projection level in the second half of the year next year. So uh, that's why uh, we believe the range of the iron ore index in the next year. And we'll have you by our side to make sure that we stay up to date on whatever happens. How you're a gentleman and a scholar. It's been a pleasure. We'll see you in 2024. See you guys in 2024. Thank you for the uh, planning with us in 2023. Thank you all. Well, that's it for us this week. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you for being with us this entire year. It's been an absolute honor to host this show. And frankly, we wouldn't keep doing it if we didn't know you guys were listening. So because you insist, we will see you next year. Until 2024, happy holidays. <laughs>